of the 1984 School of Library Service Rare Book School. There are four classes in residence this week. Christopher Clarkson is teaching a course in medieval bookbinding structure. Roger Stoddard, a course in special collections development. Wilman Spawn on American bookbindings to 1830. And Gary Frost on conservation bookbinding. Other copies of the t-shirt that I am wearing, you will be delighted to know, I'm sure, are for sale and are available at the laughable price of $5 a piece in the lounge immediately after this lecture at a reception to which I hope all of you uh, will look in for a glass of wine in conversation with our speaker, who is, I am delighted and proud to say, Mr. Bernard Breslauer, who will be speaking on the literature of bookbinding. It is a very great pleasure and honor for Columbia to have him here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, just one moment, I've got to change my glasses. <laughs> Where are they? Yeah. Okay. The uh, practice of decorating the covers and the spines of books is more than a, a millennium and a half old and is intimately connected with the development of the codex form of the book by the Christian uh, natives of Egypt, the Copts which took place as early as the second century, it soon became apparent that um, these uh, manuscripts in the book form, which we have to the present day, required covers for their better protection. The bare squares and rectangles of these uh, primitive bindings demanded to be uh, decorated, for it is a deep-seated human instinct, the innate horror of vacui, the fear of the void, to fill such empty spaces. Indeed, we soon get Dating uh, seems to be uh, somewhat uncertain. Coptic goatskin covers adorned with simple pen ornaments and lines and a binding uh, whose leather spine is for the first time blind stemmed. A 7th century Coptic binding, as the one previously mentioned in the Morgan Library, has elaborate decorations of decidedly artistic inspiration. Paul Needham has given a resume of these earliest beginnings in his catalogue of the Pierre Morgan Library exhibition, 12 Centuries of Book Bindings, 400 to 1600, in, uh, 17, in 1979, one of the most valuable recent synoptic contributions to the history of book binding. Uh, from the last 20 years or so of the 7th century, also survived the earliest uh, European decorated leather binding on the Stonyhurst Gospel of St. John, written in England between 60, 181. It is an object of consummate beauty. Perhaps uh, it has been suggested the work of an itinerant Coptic craftsman. I have no intention of boring you uh, with a potted history of bookbinding, but only want to point out that from the earliest times, the decoration of bookbinding has become an integral part of the arts of the book. That is, its calligraphy, uh, typography, pictorial, and ornamental decoration. Although bookbinders have not until recently eluded in, in their decorations the contents of the books, uh, these have a great deal to tell us about their, and especially their patrons' attitude towards these books, their literary preferences in general, their personal histories, culture, uh, and the times and, and um, uh, the, uh, the, um, um, 
the social societies in which they lived. The history of bookbinding is therefore not just the history of, the, of a craft like cabinet making and the weaving of carpets, but is inseparable from the history of the book. Uh, that bookbindings are or can be very beautiful objects capable of giving intense aesthetic pleasure should theref not therefore place them beneath the consideration of the austere and serious student of the transmission of language, literature, and thought through the book. Having decided uh, to treat the history of bookbinding as a serious subject forming an integral part of the history of the book, we will certainly wish to find out what literature exists uh, dealing with it, what knowledge we can gain from it, and what uses we can put it to. For when confronted uh, with an historic binding, we ask ourselves a number of fundamental questions. What is its age? What country does it come from? Uh, from what place within that country? Who was the artist or craftsman who signed it? Whether it may be possible to uh, attribute it to a known artist or workshop? if, as in the vast majority of cases, uh, cases it is not signed. For when faced with a beautiful or unusual object, it is very natural uh, an impulse to want to know who created it. Once we have discovered the binder, we want to know as much as possible about his life and artistic personality, uh, the scope of his activity, his clientele, etc. Historic bindings are often decorated with the coats of arms, initials, mottos, and devices of the person, city, or corporate body for, which, for whom they were made. It, we are naturally curious to know the identity of the owner of such arms or marks, for only in rare cases have they signed their names in some place inside the book. Even then we want to make certain that such a signature belongs to the same person whose arms or mark appear on the binding. Having found out for whom the binding was bound. We want to know, as is the case of the binder, as much about his life and circumstances about its relation with the binder and even the fate of the volume after it's passed from his hands and details of its subsequent owners. We also want to know whether the binding is in its original state or whether it has changed or been changed in any way. We may also wish to find out in rare cases whether we can determine the origin and date of the contents of the binding, especially if it is an early manuscript from the characteristics of that binding, provided both have always belonged together. Ideally, then, the literature of bookbinding should answer all these questions, or at least most of them. Alas, the reality is somewhat different. Bookbinding history is of comparatively recent date, and in spite of its enormous growth, has only slowly developed reliable methods of research, which have borne fruit for no more than the last 50 years. But it is by no means only the latest works um, that we f in the latest works that we find what we are looking for. Many of the earlier and even earliest publications, whatever their shortcomings, contain materials for study and comparison not found elsewhere, and must therefore be consulted, albeit with caution. I therefore propose to give you an overview of the chronological development of bookbinding literature and by family as it were, which I hope may provide some guidance for its users. The literature on bookbindings naturally falls into two principal categories. Manuals of the practice and technique of bookbinding and researches into the various branches of its history. Whereas the former is by no means extensive, it is ancient, going back a thousand years. Uh, the, later, the latter is of quite recent date, being uh, much less than 200 years old. In the context of this lecture, we need only consider practical instructions in the craft in as far as they have 
uh, they can further our understanding of the structure of old bindings and the techniques employed in decorating them. Indeed, technical knowledge is essential in deciding whether binding is in its original state or to what extent it has been repaired, whether its decoration has been tampered with or whether it is indeed a forgery. Having said that the oldest craft manuals go back a thousand years, I must at once add that this only applies to those composed in the Orient, a region which has given the West the art of gold tooling and must not be omitted from any survey, if only in view of the attention Western scholarship uh, has paid in recent years uh, to it, uh, to Oriental bookbindings. Uh, the first author on the subject appears to have been one Abu Jafar al-Nahas, who died uh, A.D. 950. His treatise, Craft of Scribes, including instructions to bookbinders, was incorporated into a similar work by the 11th century Tamin Ibn al-Mues ben Badis. Gulnar Bosk has provided a survey of these oriental uh, manuals in his essay, Islamic Bookbinding, the Historical Setting, in the catalog of the exhibition of Islamic bindings and bookmaking in the, at the Oriental Institute of the University of Chicago, 1981. In the West, there's a yawning gap until well into the 17th century. As far as I know, no early practical instructions for binders have survived in Western manuscripts, apart from four representation of the process of bookbinding, pen drawings contained in small roundels in the border of a frontispiece to a 12th century manuscript of the works of St. Ambrose from Bamberg. The first surviving description of bookbinding processes is a little manuscript dated 1658, now in Harlem. In a debris, a bookbinder, bookbinder's apprentice describes and illustrates with pretty colored drawings what he had learned during his apprenticeship. A facsimile edition of his, his manuscript was published in Amsterdam, uh, 1977. Half a century where it was to elapse before the first printed bookbinding manual appeared. It was Johann Gottfried Sedler's Buchbinder Philosophie, Bookbinding Philosophy, Halle, 1708. The author was not a professional, but a Grub Street scribbler on a great variety of subjects. The first and very, at the same time, very comprehensive manual by a practicing bookbinder is Der Buchbinder und Futuralmacher, Bookbinder and Boxmaker, uh, four volumes, Ansbach, 1741 to 1753, by Christoph Ernst Prediger, a complete facsimile edition, with introduction, was published in Zurich in 1976 to 1978. Beside it, the French, the first French effort by an amateur bookbinder, Jean Vincent uh, Capronnier de Gaufrecourt, Traité de la Relure, 1763, sh uh, three shrinks into insignificance. All the same, it is said to have been used by René Martin Dudin for his L'Art du Relieur et d'Horreur, that is the finisher, uh, Paris, 1772. Although Dudin, uh, who wrote this first uh, sales treatise on practical bookbinding, was not a binder. He had all bookbinding operations demonstrated to him by Jean-Charles-Henri Lemonnier, the younger, one of the foremost French craftsmen of, the, of his age. The English-speaking world, had to, world uh, had to wait until 1811 when the whole art of bookbinding, a pamphlet of 72 pages, was first published anonymously in the small market town of Oswestry, Oswestry in Shropshire. 
The first American work, A Mantle of the Art of Bookbinding, Philadelphia, 1856, is by James Bartram Nicholson, an excellent Philadelphia bookbinder who has, found, has been found worthy of inclusion in the Dictionary of American Biography. It may be argued that these manuals of comparatively recent date can afford scant insight into the techniques employed by the earliest bookbinders. But bookbinding techniques changed little prior to the 1830s. However, they have been the subject of an increasing number of historical studies. I only mention the pioneering essays by Berthe van Regemorte, Evolution de la Technique de la Relure du 8e au 12e siècle, Scriptorium 1948, and by Graham Pollard, The Construction of English 12th Century Bindings in the Library of 1962, Jean Vézin's Evolution des Techniques de la Relure Médiévale, Paris 1973, and Bernard Middleton's History of English Craft Bookbinding Techniques, uh, Second Supplemented Edition, 1978. Mr. Giles Barber um, of Oxford has been compiling a bibliography of manuals produced to be published by the Oxford Bibliographical Society. Finally, we may cast a glance on the ever-growing literature on the restoration of old bindings, if only to make us comprehend why so many old bindings have been ruined by well-meaning restorers. For this reason, I limit myself to mention the first monograph on the subject, De la Réparation des Vieilles Reliures, Paris, 1858, by Alfred Bonnard, who was really a collector of engravings, and three of the more recent ones which have received much praise, Sidney M. Cockerell's The Repelling of Books, London, 1958, Carolyn Horton's Cleaning and Preserving of Binding Aerated Materials, uh, Chicago, six, uh, 1967, and Bernard Middleton's uh, The Restoration of Leather Bindings, Chicago, 1972. We can now turn to research into the history of bookbinding. Although, as Mr. Anthony Hobson has pointed out, an antiquarian interest in the bindings of preceding generations, uh, centuries goes back to the 17th century, the earliest attempt to survey the history of bookbinding dates from the early 19th. Thomas Frognall Dipton's An Account of Bookbinding, Ancient and Modern, in his biographical, uh, Bibliographical Decameron, London, 1817, Volume 2. His farrago of fiction and fact nonetheless shows that there was a body of information, however distorted, transmitted among booksellers and collectors orally and through catalogues, especially concerning uh, the great patrons of bindings such as Grolier and uh, the two. But we must be grateful for, to him for furnishing proof that the neo-Gothic, uh, so-called Relure à la Cathédrale, the cathedral bindings, employed such mot motives as Gothic in cathedral windows and portals, uh, uh, were uh, employing such motives as Gothic cathedrals, windows and portals, we are not a French invention by Joseph Duvenin, the great uh, Paris binder, but an English one by Whittaker, whose bindings must therefore antedate the first uh, French cathedral bindings by the, at least five, uh, five years. In 1820, second edition, 1827, appeared one of the most curious contributions to the literature of bookbinding, the didactic poem La Relure by Mathurin Marie Lenné, a self-taught bookbinder. It is, it is an enormously long epic heroic in heroic couplets divided into six cantos, describing the various bookbinding operations which are further elucidated in notes, also touching on the history of bookbinding and on the French bookbinders who were his contemporaries. These were, of course, 
feeble attempts limping behind the surge of tremendous enthusiasm in the wake of the Romantic movement for the literature and the artifacts of past ages. Its earliest phase was a Gothic revival, but the first retrospective or pastiche bindings imitating earlier styles were not Gothic at all, but a series of bindings produced by, London firm of by the London firms of Stuggermeyer and Welcher and Henry Water during the 1790s, recreating the bindings inlaid uh, to an all-over pattern by the Paris, Paris bookbinders Padalou and Jerome 50 or 60 years earlier. The first prestigious of Renaissance bindings were also produced in London by Charles Lewis, probably before 1820. Then, in 1829, Charles Naudier, one of the most influential collectors of his day and head of the Bibliothèque de l'Arsenal, got tired of those cathedral bindings. He had acquired a rare little volume of anonymous poetry printed in Chambéry in uh, 1630, entitled Fanfares et Corvées, uh, Fanfares and, and Labors. Uh, which he instructed Touvenin to bind in the style of certain 16th century, uh, 16th and early 17th century French bindings decorated with interlacing curved lines forming irregular compartments around an empty oval centerpiece, uh, which are filled with leafy branches and floral tools. Touvenin's binding made furore among Paris bibliophiles and was at once widely imitated. From the book contained the magnificent original bindings in the style it copied were henceforth called Relieux à la fanfare or fanfare bindings. They were the subject of one of the, of Geoffrey Dudley Hobbes' most brilliant investigations, written in French, Les Relieux à la fanfare, London, 1935. I have dwelt on these early English and French pastiche bindings because they demonstrate the curious fact that they were copied from old bindings, more often than not, in the possession of the book collectors who commissioned the imitations, and not from works of reproductions which were soon to play so fundamental a role in bookbinding researches. The first publication devoted entirely to reproduction of bookbindings was specimens of ancient and modern bindings selected chiefly from the British Museum, London, uh, 1846, by Charles Tucker Junior, binder to that institution. It contained 10 chromolithographic plates. It was not until 19... 1859, that a single work illustrated with a substantial number of reproductions appeared. This was a sale catalogue of the choicer portion of the magnificent library of Monsieur Guglielmo Libri, that scholarly scoundrel who had made wholesale thefts from the French libraries to which he had access. And uh, the catalogue uh, uh, offered these, uh, his loot there. This catalogue is illustrated with 25 original photographs of bindings, the first time photography was uh, employed for this purpose. Three years later, 1862, Libri published in London a magnificent folio volume of 60 plates in chromolithography entitled Monument Inédit ou Peu Connu. It contained 130 reproductions of bindings from Carolingian goldsmith's book covers to Renaissance gold tools bindings with a description in English and French offering for the first time a considerable corpus uh, of, for the study and comparison. Of course, these bindings were, these were also uh, looted from French libraries. Between 1862 and 1864 appeared an almost equally sumptuous folio, Histoire de la Bibliophilie, 
edited by the leading Paris booksellers, Teschenaire, father and son, with 50 very faithful etched plates by Jules, Jacques, uh, by Jules Jacquemart, reproducing bindings of royal and other famous provenances. Honorable mention must also be made of Heinrich Lempert's, the uh, Cologne book and art dealer, who between 1853 and 1865 edited 12 annual Bilderhefte, that is, pictorial fascicles, reproducing materials illustrative of the book trade and the book arts, including 24 Gothic and Renaissance bindings, uh, um, many signed. There can be no doubt that Liebes and Teschner's works provided an enormous stimulus to the study of old book bindings. In 1864 and 1866, Edouard Fournier and Gustave Brunet brought out books on book bindings in France, on fr uh, uh, book, uh, books on book binding in France and related subjects. But subjects, but these and similar essays are of little value to the present-day student. But the first classic of bookbinding literature also appeared in 1866. It was Recherche sur Jean Collier, sur sa vie et sur sa bibliothèque, illustrated uh, with ten folio plates by the librarian of the Arsenal Library, Adrien Jean Victor Leroux de Lincy. As Gabriel, Gabriel Austin, the compiler of the latest and most complete catalog, reconstructing Grolier's library, says in the preface to his, uh, to his work, New York Grolier Club, 1971, it established Grolier as a prince of bibliophiles. Not 20 years later, a book, collector, book collector's club was founded in New York and the name adopted without second thought. That club also published a considerably augmented English translation in 1907. Uh, between uh, 1869 and 1872, Antoine Bachelin de Florent, a rising French uh, bookseller, edited under the pseudonym Le Bibliophile Julien, another large picture book, Album de Relieux Historique et Artistique. Bachelin also, um, I want to say that I don't know how much, uh, to what extent, uh, uh, Bachelin's, uh, Teschner's, and um, uh, the Germans, um, and um, Lempert's uh, books were not at the same time kind of sale catalog. Um, Bachelin also brought out between 1870 and 1873 a novel investigation, which is in a way another classic of bookbinding literature. It is the Armorial de Bibliophile by Joannis Guigard, who was sub-director at the Bibliothèque Nationale and an expert on heraldry. He assembled the vast number of arms which appear on French bookbindings, reproduce them under their owner's name in alphabetical order, emblazed that is described them heraldically, heraldically, and provided short biographical notes. And her, in, uh, uh, an heraldic index, including mottos and devices, allowed the identification of arms found on armorial bindings. The second edition, much enlarged, included special sections on French and foreign royalty, ecclesiastic, and women, women collectors, uh, which appeared in 1890 as Nouvelle Armorial. Until the vast 30-volume Manuel de l'Amateur de Relure Armorier Française by Olivier Hermal and de Reuton appeared, uh, Paris 1929 to 36, it was the only reference work of its kind and is still worth consulting. No other nation can boast of such a work of reference, except for the Belgians who have their three-volume Armorial Belge de Bibliophile, Brussels 1930. 
a last English heraldic book stamps, London 1909, by Cyril Davenport is very incomplete and so full of mistakes that it must be used with the greatest circumspection. Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, student of armorial bindings is therefore in many cases thrown back to the enormous heraldic literature which is extremely difficult to use. The last great album of, of bindings uh, to be published in the 1870s was another work by Gustave Brunet, La Religion Ancienne et Moderne, Paris, 1878, which contained 160 plate, plates. A new edition appeared in 1884. In the meantime, in 1875, had appeared the, appeared the first American work containing reproductions of historical, historical book bindings. It was Robert Harris' privately printed pho photographs of books, China, and works of art in the collection of an amateur. 21 were of bindings, although the collecting of old bindings was never as, uh, as has never been as widespread in America as in Europe. The United States have produced some of the greatest binding collectors in the annals of the annals of bibliophily. Indeed, the first owner of a French Renaissance binding in America may well have been Dr. Robert Egglesfield Griffith, 1791 to 1850, who around 1830 presented a magnificent magnificent folio binding from the Library of Thomas Mayeux to the Academy of Natural Sciences of Philadelphia. How many European collectors could stand in comparison with Robert Hoe, John Pierpont Morgan, Henry Walters, Mortimer L. Schiff, Courtland Bishop, Lucius Wimbledon, Raphael S. Marion, William King Richardson, and Philip Hofer? To these giants may be added lesser names, those of Samuel Putnam Avery and William Loring Andrews, and of course, Beverly Chu, the first collector of early American book bindings. Robert Hoe, 11 years after his first publication, was able to illustrate it to illustrate with 63 specimens from his own collection, his lecture on book bindings as a fine art, 1886. Incidentally, in 1883, Henry Penn Dubois had published his historical essay on the art of book binding, the first such attempt to appear in America. By 1895, Ho was able to produce two splendid quarter volumes with 176 historic and artistic book bindings from the 15th century to the present time. Uh, Pierre Morgan's uh, bulk accessions of bindings came with his acquisition of the James Dewey collection, of which he had a sumptuous catalog printed in 1901, and the Rahir 50, a bought en bloc from the great French bookseller in uh, Rahir in 1907. But his interest in bindings is also manifested by many important individual acquisitions. After the death of Mortimer Leo Schiff, 1877 to 1831, Seymour Ritchie, the great polymath, to whom Schiff had entrusted the formation of his library, published a four-volume work on the British um, and French signed bindings in that library in New York, 1935, which has become a standard reference work. But again, the full extent of Schiff's holding, uh, holdings was revealed um, uh, by the three sale catalogues of his books, London, 1938. From the three sale catalogs of his library, it is apparent that Lucius Wilmerding owned some of the grandest bi binding a, a private collector could hope to own. Though as Marianne's collection outshone with his sale catalog, Paris 1972 to 1974 in five volumes, um, clearly shows. Having raced so far ahead 
in my chronological survey, you may, I hope, permit me to stay in New York a little longer before returning to the 1880s and Europe. From its foundation, the Grolly Club became the center of interest in book bindings, both ancient and modern, in the United States. All the collectors I have just mentioned, uh, I believe, belong to it. Over the years, it held a series of bookbinding exhibitions which recorded in printed catalogs, which recorded in printed catalogs, had a considerable impact. I mentioned those of recent bookbindings, uh, 1860 to 1890, in 1891, commercial bookbindings, 1894, books from the libraries of celebrated bibliophiles and illustrious persons, um, 1895, decorated early English bookbindings, 1895, Mo uh, mosaic bookbindings, 1902, silver embroidered and curious bookbindings, 1904, French almanac bindings, 1905, and last but not least, the pioneering catalog of ornamental leather bindings executed in America prior to 1850 in 1907, describing the collection of Beverly Chu. It remained with, it remained with one exception, practically the only work on early American bookbindings until bookbinding in America, three essays by Hannah Dustin French, Julius W. Rogers, and Helmut Lehmann Haupt, Portland, 1941, and the exhibition catalog of, Mike, uh, of Michael Papantonio's collection of American bookbindings held at the Morgan Library and elsewhere in 1972. Since then, William and uh, Carol Spawn have published essays on early American uh, binderies. Another significant Grolly publication was William Matthews' lecture, Modern Bookbindings Practically Considered, published in 1899. Among the members of the club who wrote on bookbindings, there was, of course, the enthusiastic William uh, Loring Andrews, who wrote the earliest treatise on American bookbinding, Bibliopedia in the United States, New York, 1902. He also published the first two separate monographs on an individual bookbinder, on Roger Payne in, in 1892, and on Thomas Gosden, the sporting bookbinder and jack of many trades, who died bankrupt in 1840. Andrews thus, beca Andrews thus became the no doubt unwitting spiritual ancestor of a whole series of monographs on British bookbinders, such as Cyril Davenport's, Davenport's Handsome Caxton Club Quarter uh, of 1926 on Payne, and by a stretch of the imagination, such monographs as uh, Loudon's on James and William Scott, the 18th century, Edinburgh Binders of 1980. After this enormous parenthesis, I return you to the old world which we had left around 1878. From the 1880s onwards, the interest and the study of book bindings began to spread far and wide. How far and how wide can be seen by the bibliography of bookbinding literature, which Sarah Treberbian Frido, the foremost of woman binders working in England, she ceased binding around 1904 and lived until 1930, but lived until 1933, appended to her historical sketch on bookbinding, London, 1893. She lists about 500 books and articles published until then. Thirty years later. Wolfgang Meyer's Bibliographie der Buchbinderei Literatur, Literatur, Leipzig, 1925, contained 2,691 entries. In spite of its omission and mistakes, omissions and mistakes, of which I again became aware while prepare, uh, preparing this talk, the best because the only 
excellent bibliography up to that date. Hermann Herz, continuation, covering the years 1924 to 1932, Leipzig 1933, has a further 2,224 listings. After a gap of 13 years, only partly filled up to 1939 by the relevant sections in the Internationale Bibliographie des Buch und Bibliothekswesens, which sees publication in 1940, we have Schmidt Künzemüller's uh, bibliography for the years 1945 uh, uh, to 1975, rather hidden in volumes 8 and 18 of the Archiv für Geschichte des Buchwesen, Archive for the uh, History of um, um, uh, Library Science, uh, Book Sciences, um, Frankfurt 1967 and 1977. His entries are not numbered, but at a rough guess, amount of uh, two and a half thousand. Faced with this vast literature, my, literature, my report must of, necessary, uh, of necessity from now on become more and more selective. 1880 saw the appearance of La Relieur Francaise by Marius Michel, father and son, dealing with its history uh, to the 18th century. Marius Michel the Elder was a finisher of incomparable skill, a le grand horreur of the 19th century. The son, Henri Marius, was one of the great innovators of bookbinding styles inspired by William Morris. He introduced natural floral designs composed of perfectly executed onlays of Morocco in various shades, spurning the sterile imitations of historical styles. As a history, uh, the book is outdated but remains an important document of the younger Marius Michel's ideas. It had three successors. One, Etienne Deville's La Relieur Française, two volumes, Paris, 1930 to 1931. Secondly, the marvelously succinct work, bearing the same title of 1951 by Louis-Marie Michon, librarian at the Bibliothèque Nationale, to whom we owe an equally excellent study of French 18th century inlaid bindings. Les Reliures Mosaïques, du 18e siècle, 1956, including a census of all such bindings known. And thirdly, the three-volume La Religion en France, uh, 1959 to 1961, by the Parisian bookbinder Roger Desvauchelles, especially volume two and three, dealing with the 19th and the present century, are replete with valuable information. England, Germany, and Italy have produced no such general surveys of their binding history. The great Italian bookseller scholar Tamara de Marinis covered the history of Italian bookbinding up to about 18, uh, 1550 in his Legatura Artistica in Italia nei secoli quindici e sedici, Florence, 1960. In three-folio volume, uh, three volumes, he lists about 3,500 bindings grouped under cities in which they were made, reproducing about 1,500 of them on almost 1,000 plates. The work offers a wealth of material unequaled by any other publication of this nature, but must be treated with reservation as some of the attributions to certain bindings, binding centers are pretty cavalier. Scotland, Ireland, Sweden, and Norway, and Spain have been luckier. William Smith Mitchell, uh, uh, William Smith Mitchell published a history of Scottish book bindings Edinburgh 1954, in the same in which Morris Craig, Irish book binding, 1600 to 1800, appeared in London. 
the great Swedish collector and binding historian, uh, Baron uh, Johannes Rutbeck, published his history of Swedish bindings in 1521 to, uh, to 1880. Svenska Bokband in, uh, Bokband in three fine volumes, Stockholm, 1910 to 1914. Finally, there's a substantial work on Norwegian book bindings up to 1815 by Astrid Scholdager, uh, Oslo, 1927, and an excellent illustrated survey of Spanish bookbinding, Madrid, 1972, by Matilda Lopez Serrano, Serrano, librarian of the Madrid Palace Library. I do not know whether any of the Islamic countries have produced national bookbinding histories. I must therefore refer the speaker of Arabic to the bibliography at the end of the Chicago Exhibition Catalog of 1981, already mentioned. The principal Western historians, histories are contained in uh, the catalog, uh, 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 the, the Prince of Western history uh, are uh, uh, Gratzel's work on Islamic book bindings from the 14th to the 19th century in the Bavarian S State Library, 1924, and Sarah, Sarah's, S-A-R-R-E, Classical Islamic Book Bindings, 1923. But let us again return to the beginning. In 1887, Leon Gruel, a first-class binder and son of a well-known late romantic binder, published his Manuel Historique et Bibliographique de l'Amateur de Relieux. He followed this up with a second volume in 1905, incorporating new material which he had since gathered. It was richly illustrated and reproduced a lot of documents, not only bindings, not only bindings. Each volume, after preliminary essays, is arranged in the alphabetical order of subjects such as bindings, kinds of bindings, etc. Of course, the book is largely outdated, but it still provides occasionally useful uh, information and also a wonderful picture of the state of book collecting during the Belle Epoque. Charles Tuckett's modest volume of bindings from the British Museum remained without e sequel until 1889, when Henry Benjamin Wheatley published his remarkable bindings in the British Museum selected for their beauty and historic interest. This set the example for a whole series of works, picturing selected binding treasures of public libraries all over. Carl Zimmermann published the bindings in Dresden in 1887, uh, a sequel by Lear coming out in 1892, and Henry Bouchot's La Reliure d'Art, La Reliure d'Art de la Bibliothèque Nationale, Paris, in 1888 which was in turn succeeded by saint Relieur de la Bibliothèque Nationale, 1914, selected by Charles Meunier, the French Art Nouveau bookbinder, and Émile Dacier's Les plus belles reliures de la Réunion des Bibliothèques Nationales, 1929. Saul uh, uh, Brassington published historic bindings in the Bodleian Library, Oxford, in 1891. In 1892, Ludwig uh, Bicknell reproduced the finest bindings in the permanent libraries of the old electorate of Hessen. Sir Richard Rivington Holmes produced in regal fashion specimens of royal, fine, and historical bookbinding selected from the Royal Library, Windsor Castle, London, 1893. And in 1895 and 1896, William Younger Fletcher published 65 English and 65 foreign bookbindings in the British Museum. 1910 saw Gottlieb's, Theodore Gottlieb's descriptions and reproduction of 100 bindings in the Vienna Imperial Court Library, which quietly revolutionized binding studies. The trend continued 
after the First World War with Adolf Schmidt's heavy term reproducing on 100 plates, 162 bindings from the 14th to the 19th century in the State Library at Darmstadt, and with Max Josef Husung's volume on Berlin, Leipzig, 1925. In 1938, Anka Küster, the foremost Danish, book, uh, Danish bookbinder of his time, uh, produced a fine volume on the bindings in the Royal Library, Copenhagen, 1938. During the Second World War, there appeared a, a remarkable catalog of Shrewsbury School Library bindings of Oxford, 1943, by its librarian, James Basil Oldham, who was also an authority of English blind stamp uh, bindings, mainly of the 16th century. After 1945, we have a Bucheinbände aus elf Jahrhunderten, bookbindings from the 11th century, selected from one of the greatest European collections, the Bavarian State Library in Munich, by Ferdinand Geldner, an undisputed authority, especially on German bindings. In 1962, Ilse Schunke published Die Einbände der Palatina, Rome, in two volumes. It describes the bindings in the libraries of the Count's Palatine, one of the richest in Germany, taken from Heidelberg as booty by the elector Maximilian I of Bavaria, and presented in, 19, in 1623 to Pope Gregory XV, who incorporated it in the Vatican Library. Her catalog, with its introductory essays, is one of the most valuable contribution, contributions to Renaissance binding literature especially with respect to German and Italian bindings, and those by the French Protestant refugees who settled in Heidelberg and Geneva. Following in the footsteps of Gottlieb, Otto Malzahl, a librarian at the Austrian National Library, published a selection of 270, as compared with Gottlieb's 100 bindings from its rich treasures, Europäische Einwandkunst aus Mittel Alter and Neuzeit, Middle Ages and, new, uh, and, and uh, present time, Graz, 1907. A year later, Howard M. Nixon described 66 16th century gold tool book bindings in the Pierpont Morgan Library, New York, 1971, in a volume which has already become one of the most essential tools for the student of the subject. This was followed in 1979 by Paul Needham's 12th centuries in the Morgan Library to which I've already referred. In 1891, took place the first really comprehensive loan exhibition of book bindings at the Burlington Fine Arts Club in London. Almost 900 bindings lent by the foremost British collectors were shown and described by Gordon Duff and Sarah Prido in a large quarto catalog which produced 152 of them on 113 plates, almost all in color. This number was only succeeded by Tamado Marini's Mostra Storica um, at the Palazzo Pitti in Florence, 1922, which had 1,105 exhibits. But the catalog, the variable is difficult to use, and there are few illustrations. The catalog of the loan exhibition of Spanish bindings by Frank Francisco Huesco Roland, Madrid, 1834, is with its 66 plates one of the few comprehensive works on Spanish bindings. Finally, the history of book binding, 525 to 1950 AD, 
was the title of the great American loan exhibition brought together by the unforgotten Dorothy Minor at the Walters Art Gallery in Baltimore, 1957. It is also significant in that all these 718 exhibits came from American permanent and private collections. In 1893, another classic of bookbinding literature appeared, which was to have many lineal descendants. It was Les Relieurs Francais, 1500 to 1800, by Ernest Toinon, whose real name was Antoine Ernest Roquet. This admirable biographical dictionary of the French binders was almost immediately continued to the end of the 19th century by Henri Beraldi, 1849 to 1931, one of the great French collectors uh, whose library is recorded in the five richly illustrated volumes of a tale catalog, Paris, 1934 it is lively, its lively anecdotal style makes a splendid read. Charles Ramsden, himself a discerning collector of French and English bindings, between 1780 and 1850, which he left to the British Library, followed suit with his valuable French book bindings, uh, book binders, 1789 to 1840. 15, London Bibliographical Society, 1850, uh, 1950, sorry. The, uh, the biographies of earlier English book binders are found in the various dictionaries on, of English printers and booksellers published by the London Bibliographical Society between 1905 and 1910. Other countries, too, have published dictionaries of their binders. I only mention that on Danish book binders by Carl, Danish book binders by Carl P. Nielsen and Erasmus Berg, Copenhagen, 1926, on Stockholm binders, uh, 1460 to 1880 by Arvid Hedberg, uh, 1949, and on the Spanish ones by Vincente Castaneda, Mad Madrid, 1958. A large number of articles on single bookbinders can be traced through a most useful bibliography. In volumes two and three of an otherwise not very useful book, Helmut Helwig's Handbuch der Einbandkunde, Hamburg, 1953 to 1955. It gives thousands of binders arranged under countries and periods up to 1850, culled from 160 sources. Volume 3 is an alphabetical list of the binders found in Volume 2. Uh, the number of independently published monographs on binders is small. I only mention here the uh, two on the greatest German uh, Renaissance binder, Jakob Krause, by Crystal Schmidt. Schmidt, Leipzig, 1923, and Ilse Schunke, Leipzig, uh, 18, uh, 1943. As I've already mentioned, those on Payne, Goston, and the Scots. One of the most recent monographs is Paul uh, Culot's on Jean-Claude Bosserien, Brussels, 1979. With the publication of book bindings and rubbings of bindings in the National Art Library, South Kensington, Museum, London, by W.H. James Wheel, London, 1896 to 1898, we at last see the dawn of a more scholarly and systematic uh, study of bookbindings. 
for the first time, stamps, rolls, single tools, and the manner in which they were employed were subject, were subjected to critical study. This me method was considerably expanded by Theodore Gottlieb in his seminal work on the bindings in the Imperial Court Library in Vienna, 1910, which I have already mentioned. Gottlieb applied for the first time proper historical methods to the study of Renaissance bindings. He had a direct successor in Ernst Philipp Goldschmidt, 1887 to 1954, Viennese by birth, Dutch by nationality and a Londoner by choice. Private scholar and collector turned bookseller. His Gothic and the Renaissance bindings, exemplified and illustrated from the author's collection, two volumes, 1928, is a work of immense learning and has had a lasting influence on binding studies. He, he refined and expanded Wheels and Gottlieb's principles and methods. In the same year, in 1928, appeared the first volume of the vast repertory of German 16th century stamps and rolls, volume two appeared in 1929, compiled in collaboration with Ilse Schunke by Konrad Habler, the great incunabulist. But two years before, uh, but two years before Goldschmidt's book came out, Jeffrey Dudley Hobson, 1882 to 1949, another bookseller, who was the director of Sotheby's and almost exclusively engaged in the auctioning of books, brought out another work which was to advance immeasurably binding research, together with those which were still to come from him. It was entitled Majoli Carnival and Others, London, 1926. This he followed in 1929 with two works, Bindings in Cambridge Libraries, 72 plates, Cambridge, 1929, and English bindings before 1500. Apart from Les Reliures à la Fanfare, 1935, already mentioned, his last substantial work was English bindings, 1490 to 1940, in the library of J.R. Abbey, London, 1940. Hobson's method was to make lists of bindings which had the same binder's tools in common. If the binder was one of several was was one of several. Uh, uh, if the binder of one or several was known, he could attribute the others to him. If the workshop was not known, he baptized it with a sobriquet such as Queen's Binder. All this required an immense amount of histori historical and ar uh, archival research, the exam examination of the holdings of libraries and private collections, and of the illustrations in book on bindings and auctions, auction and booksellers catalogue. Within logical, though not strictly chronological sequence, I must mention here uh, Jeffrey Hobson's son, Anthony Robert Alwyn Hobson. He has proved to be a worthy successor of his father. We owe to him two major works, French and Italian collectors and their bindings, illustrated from examples in the library of G.R. Abbey, the same Abbey, Oxford, 1953, and 42 essays on French bindings from 1511 to 1942, and on, on 35 on Italian bindings from 1480 to 1839, he has embedded an enormous amount of research. In his Apollo and Pegasus, Amsterdam, 1975, he has attempted to solve 
the provenance of the celebrated Roman bindings adorned with plaques representing Apollo on a chariot drawn by Pegasus, which his father had brilliantly tried but failed to do in 1926. In the Vatican archives, Anthony Hobson discovered documents which allowed him to identify the work of several Roman Renaissance bookbinders, a considerable advance. Another prodigious, colorful, and even controversial figure was Ilde Schunke, 1892-1978, though when meeting this wispy retired lady, you would not have, have suspected it. We have already encountered her as the authoress of the definite study of Jakob Krause and as co collaborator of Konrad Hebler. She was a repository of vast knowledge on Gothic bindings and on the French, German, and Italian Renaissance. She developed the practice of attributing bindings according to their tools to anonymous workshops, which were then given sobriquets by her uh, to a fine art, virtually creating dozens and dozens such ateliers. Many of these have stood the test of time. Others have more or less dissolved. Her flowery, enthusiastic style is taken from that of certain German art historians. Her articles are scattered through journals and festschriften. Her bibliography amounts to upwards of 150 such contributions. Almost her exact contemporary was another uh, German Einbahnforscher, Ernst Pirist, 1881 um, to, 18, to 1974, who was also a binding collector. His uh, collection is now in the Stuttgart State Library. As he took rubbings from almost every binding he ever saw, I called him Le Grand Froiteur. His principal field was German Gothic binding, although he wrote on a great variety of other subjects. And his bibliography, too, is enormous. His principal work is for the four volumes on the German Gothic binding Stuttgart, 1951 to 1958, a monument of its kind, in spite of its shortcomings, as it is, it is, the only, it, it is only complete as far as southwestern Germany is concerned omits totally the no northern, eastern, and western region, and only lists workshop of which he knew at least 25 specimens, thus omitting the rarer and more interesting ones. The literature on, German, on the German early and late Gothic binding is enormous, so that his work, this work, uh, that his work, Chris's work, must stand here as past pro toto. The principal heir and successor of Jeffrey Ho uh, Hobson was Howard Miller Nixon, 1909 to 1983, for many years keeper at the British Library. His oeuvre is both enormous and totally exemplary, and has brought enormous advances in the scientific refinement of binding research. I can here only attempt to sketch its barest outline. He was the undisputed master of English binding history, but alas, never wrote a, compre a comprehensive history of it. In 1953, he published 12 books in fine bindings in the library of uh, Healy Hutchinson, containing highly important essays on French and English binding. His Bruxburg-born uh, library styles and designs of book bindings from the 12th to the 20th century, London 1956, exemplified by 119 examples, is essential, is essential reading for any student of binding. In 1965, Nixon arranged a loan exhibition of all Grolier bindings found in British collections, an enormous amount. 
His catalog, uh, his resulting catalog, book bindings from the library of Jean Gaulier is a major contribution to the history of French Renaissance book bindings. He produces, he reproduces the various tools of the binders who worked for Grolier, thus providing the means of identifying a large number of other bindings of the period. His work on English gold tool bindings of the Renaissance appeared in two essays published in the De Marini's Festschrift of 1964 and the Schulder Festschrift 1971. His English restoration by book bindings, the catalog of an ex exhibition he arranged at the British Library in 1974, is the last work, word so far on the greatest period in the history of English book bindings. I have already mentioned his masterly treatment of the Renaissance bindings in the Pierre Morgan Library. In 1977 appeared his five century, centuries of English book bindings, the in part improved collection of 100 articles on uh, individual bindings published by him in the English periodical, The Book Collector, between 1952 and 1976. It also contains a complete bibliography, and that is very important, on English bindings. Howard Nixon, in turn, has found a worthy successor in Miriam Foote, his longtime collaborator at the British Library, who now occupies his chair there. Her catalogue of the extraordinary collection of about a thousand bindings, uh, which the late Henry Davis left for the British Library, has now reached the second volume, 1978 and 1983, it is, it is already clear that it constitutes a valuable contribution to bookbinding literature in its methodological development, methodological development. I am at the end of my survey, having bombarded you with hundreds of names and titles, uh, which I hope uh, will not create confu confusion rather than instruction. In using uh, that vast array of literature, we must always remember shortcomings, which we have corrected in part by further studies. Thus, we must know that such works as the Burlington Fine Arts Club exhibition catalogue and the whole catalogue contain many forgeries. That Fletcher's volume on the English bindings in the British Museum describes bindings that are not English and a few which are included as foreign in his other volumes are in fact English. Attributions have often changed, but the reproduction of the bindings uh, are therefore no less useful. The Baltimore exhibition of 1957 revealed the wealth of historic bindings in American libraries, on which a great deal of work remains to be done. Dorothy Minor has found only one noted successor, Carl Needham. Let us hope that more American scholars will find historical bookbinding research as fascinating and rewarding as their European colleagues. If my tortuous talk, talk succeeds a little in stimulating that interest, it will have been richly rewarded. <laughs>